Hello everyone, this is your co-passenger Darshan Maharaja joining you on yet another leg of our Canadian journey. It's been a while since the last uh, time we were together on this journey. Frankly, I had intended for this journey to be more regular, but perhaps in a way that is emblematic of how Canada is where attempts to create something or bring added value to the public sphere often end up in an experience of sputtering start-stop-start-stop pattern. So, I haven't been able to stick to my intention. Let's hope that in the year 2023, I can break this pattern and bring you my audio content more regularly so we can have more legs in this uh, common journey of ours. With that expression of hope, let us embark on this, the 12th leg of our common journey after this intro music. Ever since I came to Canada some two decades ago, I have been hearing that conservatives are hostile to immigrants, which expression means non-white people here. Otherwise, the same people will keep saying that Canada is a land of immigrants. So everybody here is an immigrant. But when conservatives are supposed to be hostile to immigrants, that means non-white people. Whereas the liberals are friendly to those said non-white people, immigrants. In fact, this was the first thing of a political nature that I heard in Canada. Of course, this was too black and white for me, pun intended. So I decided not to take this offered opinion at its face value. Besides, uh, since I had spent many years living in different countries, on different continents too, I knew that such generalizations are usually wrong. An entire class of people cannot be painted with such a broad brush, especially relating to something negative. Just to give you an example why I am focusing on the negative part here. When you say that people from East Africa are generally very good uh, distance runners, <laughs> it bears out. Uh, look at the record. But when you say something negative about a whole group of people, then it is very, very likely to be wrong. And when I say class here, it can be defined in various ways such as skin color, race, ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation and the like. Then over the succeeding years, as I kept hearing this mantra being chanted more and more, I also had the benefit of observation of how the reality is. I also had the benefit of prior experiences in other countries as to how racism or bias or bigotry, whichever term you want to use, how it can manifest. I was therefore well aware that, uh, <coughs> excuse me, that one of its uh, manifestations can be in the form of sympathetic words. Maybe I should say ostensibly sympathetic 
because the underlying motivation is hostile to the welfare of the intended audience. Then over the past few years, this rhetoric of conservatives being congenitally hostile to non-white Canadians appeared to have subsided a little bit. Perhaps it was due to the milk toast leadership of Andrew Scheer and Erin O'Toole over at Conservative Party of Canada. Or maybe it hadn't subsided and I'm mistaken. Regardless, ever since Pierre Polyev entered the leadership race of CPC, the propagation of the notion that conservatives are irredeemably racist has kicked into a much higher gear. On a notable occasion, when Mr. Polyev held a campaign event in Calgary, the usual suspects in our media and politics, which may be different branches of the same entity, they went into hyperdrive as to how none of the attendees at this event were diverse. As a side note, I think that this definition of diversity is twisted. The sole focus is on skin color or more broadly on visible differences in appearance or between people. On the other hand, a gathering of non-white people of the same group, meaning one single group, would not be called non-diverse if it happens to be something other than white identity. I have been to such gatherings where I was the only non-Sikh attendee. And I observed that apart from myself, the only diversity in evidence was in the color of turbans. I must mention that Sikhs have a robust sense of humor generally, so they also found it funny. They can laugh at themselves, great people. So coming back to the point, it has become fashionable of late to criticize events of CPC leader Pierre Poilier, where going by the photos, all the attendees were white. I'm making air quotes here around white. Why? When this happened during his campaign to become CPC leader, I posted a podcast episode on this at the time pointing out that it is often difficult to guess a person's race by their skin color and that skin color is not the only thing that brings about diversity. And by skin color, we can understand the visible difference part here. Now, this issue popped up again over the recent weekend when Mr. Polyer held a meeting at uh, Windsor, Ontario. This time I took screenshots so I can tell you exactly who said what about the absence of dark-skinned people generally. Before I get to that, however, allow me to ask you to set aside what you think of the person who said these words. Their identity is irrelevant. What I wish to focus on is the intended objective and the meaning, expressed or implied, of their words in relation to non-white Canadians. Here is Gail Vaz Oxlade, former media personality and financial opinionator. Quote, you know what I don't get? I don't get how POC, LGBTQ2 and First Nation people ever identify as conservative. How brain dead do you have to be to walk into a crowd like this and think you belong? End quote. Here is the adder 
of Halifax and cartoonist for the Washington Post. Quote, He's got it locked up if only white people are allowed to vote. End quote. And finally, here is the disgraced shock jock Jean, Dean Blundell. Quote, Every white person at a polyar event is there because they think hashtag PP will protect their white privilege because he told them Justin Trudeau is taking it away. It is this easy to astroturf dumb white people with the education of a hammer. End quote. In response, I asked Mr. Blundell as to what his opinion was on the motivation for non-white people for attending Mr. Polyev's events or rallies. Here is his reply. Quote, Confusion. Ideological alignment. Gaslighting. End quote. My immediate uh, reaction, which still remains and I don't see it changing ever, is that this statement by Mr. Blundell denies agency to non-white Canadians, denigrates their intelligence and is racist. In addition, let me also say that it is patronizing and condescending. It is no different from the views of colonizers of yore who considered the colonized non-white people as lesser humans when they didn't to consider them as human at all, based on the thoughts, beliefs and opinions that the non-white people had. Particularly when it comes to political views, there is a whole range of issues that are important to any individual. And each person has an absolute right in a democracy to exercise their choice in any manner that they prefer. For someone to say to them, that you must choose this way based on the color of skin is a case of serious overstepping of personal boundaries. And going to the extent of calling someone ignorant based on their political choice or leaning is itself a sign of ignorance of an extreme kind as to what democracy actually means. People who will agree with the foregoing often say that this sentiment always comes from progressive white people or woke white people if you prefer that expression. But I believe that this perception is the result of two factors. The relative population of non-white people in the country, so they are fewer and therefore less likely to be uh, observed and their presence in the public forums where they can be observed by others. I have been harping on this latter point for a while now. My observation is that uh, political dialogue on Canadian issues in the so-called ethnic communities tends to happen, when it happens at all, in their native languages. So the average monolingual English or French speaker or even a bilingual one in those two languages has no way of coming across expressions of the nature of Mr. Blundell's from members of the ethnic communities. As an insider who can read and understand four ethnic languages uh, from South Asia, let me tell you that these expressions are rather common among those who speak the said four languages. See, after all, the messaging or propaganda, if you will, in this regard that I've been observing for roughly two decades and likely began much earlier 
is bound to have had some impact and shaped the views of at least some ethnic people. In fact, it has had much more than just some impact. In the South Asian community, I can tell you it is very widespread. This effectiveness is also partly a result of the fact that the conservatives haven't found a way to counter this messaging or propaganda. My opinion is that they haven't even tried. When Mr. Polyev started reaching out to third language media, immediately after becoming the CPC leader, I thought that CP had, CPC had uh, finally mended its ways. However, after the initial burst of activity, CPC seems to have gone back to sleep. If they don't take remedial action on a war footing, they will face the same weakness in the same election. In many articles on this subject, I have called it CPC's image deficit. They will face it in the next election, unless they start work on a war footing. Even if that election takes place in 2025, it can happen sooner, but even if it takes, if it goes all the way to September 2025, because countering two plus decades old propaganda, which is now well entrenched in the ecosystems, is an uphill task even in a time frame of two and a half years. That's what they have got left. The net result of this inaction by CPC. I am tempted to call it apathy. The net result is that the average ethnic voter who leans conservative is pretty much left on his own or her own. There is absolutely no institutional support to lend them backing, whether from CPC or from a media ecosystem that leans their way. Even a neutral media ecosystem would be immensely helpful as long as it is not biased towards the liberals or towards the left more generally. So within the community, they are considered as white from the inside. Depending on their skin color, the epithets are apple for the indigenous, Oreo for black Canadians, coconut for the brown ones, and banana for the Chinese Canadians or I think maybe even East Asian Canadians, but I'm not sure. But for the Chinese Canadians, I know from a friend who is married to a Chinese individual and uh, she says that her husband often gets called banana, yellow from the outside and white from the inside. This was a new um, discovery for me. So red, black, brown, yellow from the outside, white from the inside. That is the insult. In the face of incendiary statements such as the conservatives quote white supremacists who want to kill you all or that you are a sellout, these unfortunate individuals must soldier on without any support or succor from anywhere. I have personally faced some of these claims where people told me for example that if the conservatives ever came to power they would quote throw me in jail or worse, end quote. This is of course not only laughable, but also disproved by actual experience. Before 2015, we had a conservative federal government for nine years, and here in Ontario, there has been a conservative government for the past four and a half years. There weren't and aren't 
any cases of non-whites being victimized by these conservative governments on account of their racial identity or skin color. Now, I must digress a little bit here, uh, courtesy of my Twitter friend Jennifer, who is uh, First Nations. And because of interacting with her, uh, I am aware of all the issues of uh, indigenous communities. But the point here is that their victimization throughout history and even now in the present is not partisan. It comes from both the sides, left and right, liberal, conservative. You know that I am chasing the issue of grassy narrows, the mercury remediation, which has been like kept dangling for 50 plus years. And during those 50 years, Ontario has had conservative, liberal and NDP governments. So while acknowledging that, I am still making a statement that when there is a conservative government, you cannot say that they are based on evidence likely to specifically target ethnic minorities. But an essential aspect, see this is a progressive uh, messaging or propaganda. And we understand the word progressive in a negative sense here. An essential aspect of progressivism is that evidence is not necessary to prove an allegation. And evidence to the contrary does not disprove an allegation. In its essence, progressivism engages in a battle of narrative. And in the absence of any counter-narrative or even any pushback from the other side, it is winning the battle by default. Sort of like a political candidate winning the race because there were no other opponents. So the messaging that conservatives are hostile to the well-being of non-white Canadians prevails, regardless of the obvious question as to why they may want to do so. And that brings us to the crux of the understanding about politics. As I keep emphasizing, I am politically agnostic, meaning I don't lean towards any ideology or party. Although many people wrongly conclude that I am a conservative or lean to the right. At the extreme end of this, I have been called right-wing nutjob, RWNJ for short, several times. My view of politics is influenced somewhat by the writings of Cyril Northcote Parkinson, although there have been other notable inputs as well, plus my own thinking. My view of politics is that a big part of it, a big chunk of it, is about seeking to benefit personally and to benefit one's cronies, psychophants and backers. This may sound off-putting or even offensive to some, but if you take a look, regardless of the place on planet Earth or period of history going back as many centuries as you care to, or the type of government, namely democratic, dictatorship, communism, kingdom, etc., this will hold true. Given this hard reality, there are two considerations for judging a government to be better than the others. One, how much of the personal enrichment of politicians and their connected parties can be kept at a minimum, for which we need institutions of the nature of checks and balances. And two, what else gets done, in addition to their 
looting of the public money, basically, or benefiting themselves. What else gets done? This what else being defined as things that are in the public interest, things that benefit the population at large. Thus, barring dictatorships where the president for life belonging to one tribe has a personal motivation to victimize members of an enemy tribe of his country, his own country. Or theocracies, which are also a form of dictatorship actually, where the regime wants to crush or even wipe out, if possible, communities belonging to other religions or even other sects of their own religion. Barring cases like this, in a government, the desire to victimize entire groups of people of the minority class is unlikely to obtain, especially in a mature democracy like Canada. And this brings us to a crucial point, very important point, one that I think needs to be publicized on as wide a scale as possible and emphasized with as much energy as we can muster. The point is, the claim that conservatives would victimize minorities, some claims going to the extent of envisaging their mass imprisonment if not mass murder, these claims amount to nothing less than casting aspersions on the character of Canada itself. Let me repeat that. If someone says that a conservative government would punish minorities en masse, without cause, just based on their race or the color of their skin or religion or sexual orientation or any other factor that makes them a minority. What they are saying, in effect, is that Canada is no better than a tin pot dictatorship. This is a grave and grotesque insult of all the fine Canadians right from the start and continuing until now who have worked tirelessly, often at great personal sacrifice, to make Canada into the fine country that it is. One that is the envy of most of the world. Some of you may disagree, saying currently it is not, but uh, I am taking a, taking a broader view here. We are still the envy of most of the world. It may be in their short-term personal or partisan interest to make this odious claim, but it is an unpardonable insult to our collective past and present, plus a serious threat to our future as a cohesive society where all members can live together peacefully. Making this idea an integral part of public debates, the idea that I just narrated, that this is casting aspersions on the character of Canada it itself, making it an in integral part of Public debates is a collective responsibility. Of course, the people making this allegation about conservatives won't be on side. That goes without saying. Given its nature, the allegation comes from politicians or political operatives of the liberal NDP and green camps. In addition, there are prominent members, current and former, of the mainstream media and an assortment of social media influencers and wannabes who with a desire to ride on the coattails of an idea that is popular only because it hasn't been effectively opposed. 
दे जम्प ऑन दिस बैंडवेगन एट एवरी ऑपॉर्चुनिटी सो वेन आई से दैट दिस इज अ कलेक्टिव रिस्पॉन्सिबिलिटी आई मीन द रेस्ट ऑफ द कैनेडियन पॉपुलेशन दिस हम्बर्ग हैज बीन अलाउड टू रन वाइल्ड फॉर टू लॉन्ग एंड रिमूविंग इट फ्रॉम आवर मिड्स्ट शुडंट बी सोल्ली द डार्क मैंस बर्डन well i hope you enjoyed today's leg of the journey please let me know your views in the comments until the next leg of our canadian journey starts this is darshan maharaja saying goodbye